Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our Lockdown Project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. And welcome to Wise Children's Lockdown Tea and Biscuits. I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and today I am talking to my friend and Wise Children board member, Allegra Galvin. Hi, Allegra. Hi, Emma. Hello. (laughs) It's really, really nice to see you. I haven't seen you for well over a year, apart from on Zoom, so it's brilliant to see you. Oh, it's so lovely to see you, and it's, it's nice to see you out of a board meeting, but I would just... I would love to be actually having tea and biscuit in your garden. That would be nice. Tell me about (laughs) it. So go on, the most important question, what is your biscuit of literal or virtual choice? Well, when I I moved to England when I was nine years old and I... I got quite sad, I think, for a little bit because I didn't really, you know, it was just, it was a big move. And um, and I started school and I felt quite out of place. And then I had a lovely teacher called Mrs. Higgins and um, she, she brought in some chocolate digestives and uh, milk chocolate digestives. And, and they just I just loved them and she realized that I loved them and so she just kept a package of milk chocolate digestives in her top drawer at school and I just really remember the kindness of somebody who worked out something that I really liked and then kept it and then every now and then she would just say to people want biscuits and we'd have milk chocolate digestive biscuits (laughs) so I have a very soft spot for a milk chocolate digestive well it's the prince of comfort biscuits yeah. Nobody can resist or feel sad when they've got a milk chocolate digestive. Excellent choice. Yeah. So remind me where you grew up. Where did you move from? So I grew up in California. I'm half American. Um, I grew up in a place uh, to about a couple hours north of LA called Santa Barbara. And I lived there yeah, until I was nine years old and then moved over to England. Me, my four siblings, my parents. And um, and it was quite a big, big move. And milk chocolate digestives helped. And I also really remember falling in love with crumble and jumble sales. <laughs> Anything <laughs> rhymes with humble. <laughs> the humble. Crumble and jumble. Um, and that, yeah. And uh, I think it was because I had to leave a lot of toys and clothes behind and, and then coming and I just sort of didn't have all my stuff. Uh, I was really into dress up and, you know, playing big games and I just sort of felt like I'd left my world behind. And so then we went to a big jumble sale and I just got loads of tat and I was happy again. (laughs) (laughs) I love a jumble sale. Now since eBay, they don't really exist, do they? But eBay's got online jumble sale. Yeah. Um, um, Although I do love eBay now, that's end. I don't think I've ever asked you this, but why on earth would your family have moved from the beautiful Santa Barbara to England? What what was the story? Well, my family are quite quite nomadic, I would say, in that, uh, and I think my mum had quite itchy feet, so she she grew up in England and spent her whole childhood from the age of five years old to 18 years old in a convent boarding school outside of Cambridge. And I think she just, once she got out at 18, 
she just didn't want to stop moving ever again, <laughs> I think. <laughs> and so we just, there was a, just a lot of change, you know, a lot of movement and a lot of change growing up. And um, I, I mean, they were both, they both had English, um, Irish roots. And so I think when also the reason that they would give is that they, um, well, they'd give two reasons. My father would say it was schools. He wanted to come back to England. England and better schools um, than than what was what they had in California. So I think they were quite attached to the kind of English school system, and they wanted that. And then my mother would say that God told them to come back. So I think that would be the other. Wow. So they were very um, very Christian, yeah, very very driven by their beliefs. And so for her, it was a kind of um, I think she probably felt, you know, I think there are all the human reasons you want to come back, family, and you know return to roots and being closer to family and then and then you layer onto that a kind of like you know divine reason that should take you one place or another so um so it was very sudden so she she said she had a dream and god told her and then three weeks later we we had moved wow and we were in england god and education mm. brought them to england i let's hope i don't start acting on my dreams or sort of <laughs> Tell me, I mean, I'm so looking forward to talking to you because you're such a huge part of the Wise Children story and you have been such a massive part of my life and I'm sort of desperate to celebrate that. But before we start going backwards, how has your lockdown been? Because you're you now live in Devon and work in London, so and you have two kids. How the hell have you done it and what's it been like? Paint me a picture. Um I mean I am I would say I'm one of those classic kind of middle class people who have an office job who've hugely benefited from lockdown in some ways in that it's like you know before lockdown I was getting up either going late Sunday evening or getting up at you know 4.45 on a Monday morning and getting on a train from Totnes into London doing a sort of two or three day week and then coming coming back to Devon and and that felt really worthwhile because when we got to this part of Devon we were like this is it this is where we're meant to be this is where we want to build a life this is where we want to have our kids grow up and and just that you know wanting to put down roots somewhere that we felt really comfortable and we felt like we found that here so the commute and all of that felt worthwhile for that reason but in March when they said I remember leaving the office in mid-March in London and thinking and put my I put my favorite boots in we had lockers and I put my favorite boots in my locker and I thought oh, uh, I'll maybe I should take them home I thought I can't be bothered to carry them I'll just leave them there and and I haven't seen my favorite boots in over a year <laughs> and um so yeah we can't go back now at the moment so they you need actually special permission to go back in so I work in Whitehall in the Department for Culture Media and Sport and they're being really strict about people coming back and um and uh, so i haven't been back in over a year so i've been working in my bedroom so you can see emma will be able to see my bed behind me so i feel a bit like back in in school because i went to boarding school where i've got my desk in my bedroom next to my bed <laughs> i just get out of bed and work um and it's been brilliant being around more you know, mornings, lunch times, evenings with the kid, kids, just being here all the time instead of away. But it is also quite intense. You know, just 
in the same room for yeah. 20 hours a day. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. My, my heart is sort of crying a little bit that you're still like the nine-year-old Allegra, that you're still missing your things. <laughs> You've left your favourite boots in London. <laughs> They're still there. They're in London. Oh. Um, yeah, I will go back. So we will... We will go back eventually, but I think like lots of sectors, I don't think the civil service will ever go back no. completely the way it was before, um, which I think is a good thing because even for me, like as a mum, I've been able to work more than I could work before because I can do it from home and do it more flexibly around kids. So I think there are real benefits to people who found traveling to specific locations and turning up in that way quite challenging. Um, so yeah, I think there are good good bits of it. Right, come on, let's start going back in time. What is your first music choice and why? So my first music choice is um, from your show, The Red Shoes. And um, wow, what year did I see this? So I saw this twice. I think I saw it in um, The Asylum and I saw it in um, BAC, in the Grand Hall. And that would that have been 2010, 11, around then maybe? So it was a revival yes. of the show. Yeah. Let's say yes. And uh, <laughs> Yes, something like that. Um, and so this piece of music, you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation, Emma. What's it? <laughs> the man- it's Kachaturian. The okay, Kachaturian there we go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, and I chose this because that show was so such a fundamental experience for me in in making a big shift in my life um, between um, the past and what the future was going to look like. So I went to see it with David and it was fairly, uh, so David's my husband, but it was very early on when we were still dating and I don't think we were married at that point. And, um, and I think for me, the the thing, the moment that stayed with me in that show was the final, towards the very end, when Mike was playing the angel and going up the ladder and and, and he's sort of asking the girl with the red shoes to, to come with him and saying, you know, this is this is amazing and this is where you want to be and come here and it's heaven and and then and then when she starts to say, well actually no, I'm, I'm not going to come with you, I'm going to choose this other way he then becomes increasingly violent in his attempts to get her to go that way. And I don't think I, I think David possibly carried me out of that show at the end, (laughs) rather than me actually walking because I cried so much. And I think it just, it did that thing that theatre can do, which is, which is say, which is just like, I'm going to cry again now, Um, which is just, the thing you have been through and the thing that you have experienced is not just you. It's, it, you know, you are not alone in having experienced that. And um, your story is a human story and, um, and there's bravery in it. And, and um, yeah, so just seeing it, seeing my story played by these incredible characters and, um, so I think I always just remember the ending of that show because for me it was, it was that a, a kind of crux moment in my sort of late twenties, early thirties, um, about about you know leaving behind a, a, 
and young adulthood where I'd really struggled with faith and struggled with pulling away from the faith that I was brought up with and struggled with being made to feel that that was in some way a cowardly choice, that I had, it was a weakness, that I had failed by making that decision and um, that I was in some way succumbing to baser form of myself and um, and just the strength of the actress walking out at the end and leaving the auditorium on her own and going the other way. And, and that actually that could be a strength and that was something I could be proud of and feel proud of. And that, um, and also just the kind of revealing the viciousness in a way of that demand to, to follow that, you know, I interpreted Mike and the angel as, as faith and and religion and and that actually when you start to say no and when you start to resist and a real violence can come out when you say no and um, so that just for me it was everything about what what theater could mean to me to people who experience it and I think it really gave me like how am Amazing that experience was, and and wanting that to be a universal thing, and then also just a very important turning point for me and how I felt about life going forwards. Allegra, thank thank you. I mean, and thank you for saying that. I mean, I'm crying as well because actually what you're describing is also the woman who made it a, a turning point in her life. I was a little on the cusp of 30 as well when I made that piece. So, and I I was choosing my own path at that point as well. So what you're what you're describing, I thank you enormously for because it's it's what I wanted to give to that piece, and it meant such a lot to so many of us who made it and who toured with it and um so thank you and that was sort of what you're describing is the the sort of the beginning of we when we met so you mentioned your husband David um so Allegra is married to the brilliant wonderful David Jubb who (laughs) has been a long-term friend and um colleague of mine and was when I was the artistic director of Knee High he was the chair of my board um and was also the artistic director of Battersea Arts Centre which is where he met you and we met you so our lives have been intertwined for quite a long time through David through Battersea and through Knee High and through your amazing love affair with David it feels like we can't I can't unravel any of the bits it feels like we're a glorious strong chord 
made up of all these bits. Um, but I remember very clearly, well, I remember you being in Cornwall. I remember you coming down to Cornwall with David once and um, and being at the barns and how you responded to the barns and, and feeling this energy fizzing of you. There's this sort of amazing sort of vibrancy that comes from you. But out of that, I mean, I'm joining together time. We were wanting at the time, Mike and I, Mike Shepherd, to make a book, make a knee-high book to to honour our journey. And we, we just couldn't think, because neither of us are academic, we couldn't think about how we could write it or how we could put it together. And we had the crazy idea that maybe you could help us because you were clever, which is what we always did at knee-high, which is if we met anybody clever, we thought, oh, we'll, <laughs> we'll stick with them. But I was just in preparation for this, Allegra. I've just been looking at it. And you helped us put together a knee-high book. And it was your insanely genius brain that said, I don't think it should be chronological. I think it's about themes and meanings. And you had the amazing idea that the knee-high story could be told under these headings. Home, story, wonder, love, bravery, naughtiness and imagine. And I still want to, well, you've made me cry already, so I still want to cry even more when I think about that, because what a mind you have to be able to absorb so much of a company and of the people within it and to come out with a creative solution. And and for me, that's sort of the wonder that is you. But talk to me about the first time you came down to the barn and the first, those first meetings. Yeah, so I I have so many memories of of the barns and and first chances to go down there and and i knew i knew before i went that it was a really special place for david and and i actually remember our first train journey down to the barns was um you know early on when we'd got together and i remember we had some really big converse a big conversation on the way down which is sort of when i first mentioned that i was struggling with this sort of separation of um, faith as part of my past, and and then uh, and not seeing that in my future, and and then I and that being quite a big conversation that we had on that journey, and I think I also told David on that journey that I intended to have five children, so I think I was <laughs> I was really testing the water <laughs> of what that was going to be, but I I think um, when we came down to the barns, I remember so special things happened there. I remember. The Barnes was the first place that David told me that he loved me. Um, and so that will always be special. I actually, I can't show you because we're, we're on, we're on a voice recording, but right next to my desk hanging up here, I have a map of Truro, huge, like um, a meter by maybe half a meter of Truro and St. Austell. So, and the Barnes are pinpointed on it. So the entire wall is basically, um, and um, and then I just felt like I found just, I mean, as everyone does when they go down to the barns, they find this incredible, magical, rich place and group of people. And it, it felt like everything I'd imagined that making theater could be like possibly was there. All the kind, all the, the, Heart, it was all the hilarity and beauty and hard work and incredible people and good food and beauty 
And I was really lucky. I came down when you were rehearsing Don John, I remember, and watched some of the Don John rehearsals. And I think that really helped when later you, you asked about the, the book and just being able to have been there actually in the room to see some of that work come together. Um, so yeah, I I will always be grateful for the for the moments I've been able to spend at that really special place. So we, um, um, you're a big part of Nehi, and as I say, a sort of amazing sort of spiritual archivist really helped us understand what it was that had been made and how it had been made but then I got the job at the Globe and I went to London and I saw you and David every now and again as you came to shows and um, uh, and lives moved on and then I <laughs> let's fast forward to really getting the sack I mean I did leave but you know it's, it's semantics I it was not possible for me to stay uh, and they anyway whether they knew that or not who knows but this um, very short it was less than six months into my tenure it felt very public it felt very violent interesting that we keep thinking about the angel fight at the end of um red shoes i felt like i was in another fight but this time it was not within myself it was it was outside of myself and um a little bit of timeline was um the board meeting my first season's um now, how did it work? The board meeting was in September. Mm-hmm. No, no, October. The board meeting was in October where it was made, it was impossible for me to stay. And I left at the beginning of, of November and everybody was saying, what's Emma going to do? What's Emma going to do? What's the plan? Friends were there. And I said, I'm not going to do anything. The thing I'm going to do is wait because I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm not going to do anything till the new year. And then friends from within and without the Arts Council said, this is all very well, Emma, but you do know that the MPO, the National Portfolio Organisation applications, have to be in by the 5th of January. So if any bit of you was thinking of that, there won't be another round for four years. <laughs> so I thought I'd better get my ass into gear. And I rang David and said, who, who has helped me? There's a whole other programme, but David has helped me through so many crises in my life. So he's pr- pretty much yeah. at the top of my phone book. David, I'm in trouble. Can we have a chat? And the long and short of it is poor David, who I'm sure dreads the time when my when my name comes up on his phone. <laughs> we had a chat and he said, it may be because she's my wife, <laughs> but I think we should talk to Allegra. And do you know what? He was absolutely right. The minute he said it, I thought, of course, of course I need to talk to Allegra. And you were on maternity leave at the time. So I'm going yeah. to do my first choice before we go on to it, which is Let's Face the Music and Dance, because it's got the best lyric ever. There may be trouble ahead, but while there's music <laughs> and romance, let's face the music and dance, which is what we did. There may be trouble ahead but while there's moonlight and music and love and romance, let's face the music and dance. Before the fiddlers have fled, before they ask us to pay the bills, and while we still have the chance, Let's face the music and dance 
soon we'll be without the moon humming a different tune and then there may be teardrops to shed so while there's moonlight and music and love and romance let's face the music and dance dance let's face the music and Tell me about where you were at this point in your life. So, I yes, I remember that. Um, so I was on maternity leave. I was at the time I was running a venue in, in Folkestone so, and uh, an art centre. And I was, I was on maternity leave. And um, so I had, a, I think Afro was nine months old when you called me. And, um, and I think you called me in November, sometime in early December, maybe. <laughs> And I, actually, the, the MPI deadline was the 31st of January, but it was, I felt like we started having the conversation just before Christmas, because it felt like we had January to write the application. So it was it was super tight. And um, we, I remember we met in King's Cross train station. So I took the train up. I think I had Afra with me. So David came and then he held the baby and we sat in a really soulless restaurant, Spanish restaurant in King's Cross Station. <laughs> and and it was trying to sort of, it, you had such, it transpired, you had such a strong vision already for what you were going to do. So whilst you were trying to hold the world at bay because of everything that had happened, and you said you were, you know, that you were all over the place. When I started asking the questions that would need to be answered in an MPO application, it transpired you knew exactly <laughs> what you wanted to do and what it and what it would look like and and um, who some of the key sort of partners would be. And I remember feeling really nervous. Well, first of all, I remember being delighted because David never suggests me for anything. And I actually get quite annoyed with him sometimes. He's like, well, you're my wife. I can't do that. You know, he's very, you know, propriety job. <laughs> it's like, and so sometimes I actively get annoyed with him when he's, he suggests, yeah, anyway, but I was like, fair enough, you know, that makes, that's good. It makes sense. But on this one occasion, he suggested me and I'm so pleased that he did but then also I was quite terrified you know I'd never written an MPO application before so to say to you Emma Rice who I had so much admiration for yes I'll write your MPO application I said it and then it was only a bit down the line that I realized 
if I don't get this funding, I it will be so terrible and it will be my fault. <laughs> so, but you were so brilliantly encouraging and supportive and able to make me feel that that we were in this together and you know there may be troubles ahead but we would find a way through it and and um and and made it feel like a completely shared ex endeavor and um and yeah so between you and me and let us not forget simon in this moment <laughs> um making that application come together and 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 meet that deadline was an extraordinary experience and being able to sit and sort of it was completely different i think from many other kind of npr application where you you know you have something that exists and and you're sort of trying to tell them the brilliance of what you already have we were really trying to map out the brilliance of what could be in wise children and it was uh what an opportunity to start from scratch like that and obviously we weren't starting from scratch because of your 20 year you know, directing history that made that possible. But in terms of the future, it was just such an exciting project to work on. And it was exciting, like you say, because it never happens to you as an artist, because you always end up, I know what, you know, pandemics aside, you tend to know what you're doing in three months' time, in six months' time. You have a rolling agenda. So any decision, you've still got other things that you have to things honour so there's never a clean start and yeah. this yeah. I fell off a cliff when the globe finished there was this it was like the guillotine coming down and that felt yeah. like it's such an opportunity and also I was keeping it, was it secret on nothing else exactly yeah. I was keeping it secret yeah. because I didn't want anybody to know my plans because I didn't I didn't want another public failure so mm -hmm. it literally was us in railway stations <laughs> it was yeah. like brief encounter wasn't it yeah um, it was but, but you, you say that you that you had this great responsibility, which you did. But I can remember not only saying, but feeling it didn't matter whether we got the money, that what you did for me at that moment with your friendship and your thought and your knowledge of me was you gave me focus and allowed me to dream of a future. You took me out of the pain and into an imaginative space. And I knew I was being rescued. I knew that actually it wasn't whether there was a yes or a no at the end of it. I was... I was being rescued from the minute that you said yes and 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 the fact that it was secret as well made it this intoxicating intense bubble and everybody kept saying you need three months to do an MPO and we we're like we've got four weeks yeah <laughs> and we, four weeks <laughs> and, and I'm not gonna do that but four weeks to start a company so I remember with Simon it was like not only do we have to write this application and bring all the relevant partners on board and email all these venues and make those relationships you know, establish those relationships. We just had to start a company, <laughs> filling out all the forms. <laughs> it was, it was, it felt really exciting. And then I do, you're, you're right. You're reminding me because then quite quickly we realised that whether or not we got the MPO funding, this had been an incredible vehicle for working out what the future looked like for you as an artist. And we started making plans for if if the funding didn't happen, which we felt was quite potentially quite remote, <laughs> we, you know, that we were going to launch the company anyway. So I remember we we made those plans to sort of go to launch the the Wise Children Company, with or without the MPO status in in the July of that year, and it was really exciting. Yeah. What's your next choice of music and why? 
Oh, so the next choice I've made is <laughs> from a show which I've had to write down the title of because I always get it wrong, but it's Once and for All, We're Going to Tell You Who We Are, So Shut Up and Listen. And this was another show I saw at BAC, um, which was from a, a company called Entre and Code. And um, it was like your red shoes. It was just another seminal moment for me on my personal journey in the in the way that a number of theatre shows have been and um and it's a show that took 13 teenagers and lined them up on a set of chairs along the stage so the only set was this row of 13 chairs and and it was a completely devised show and um and so the speech that plays over this soundtrack, so so the soundtrack is one thing, but the, the speech that plays over it is from one of the actresses in the show. And it was essentially about being a young person and that incredible moment of being a teenager and transitioning from being young into being an adult. And I saw it with David um, when, uh, probably when his daughter Matilda, who is just now an incredible, adult human being <laughs> and at the time she was probably 14 or 15 years old maybe and so she was in that kind of zone so for David I think it was a moment in terms of being a, a parent of, of, a, of a teenager and what that could be like and and for me it was um, looking at it it was understanding that um, a different kind of child from, and I was obviously David and I were then together, and we were thinking about having a family. And I was thinking, and, and one of my fears was sort of some perpetuating some of the things that I brought through from being a being a young person. And particularly, I had an actually blissful childhood, I should say, but it was the teenage years that I really found difficult, and in my early twenties. And and this show presented just an entirely different way of looking at being a young person, and all the mess and trauma and uh, and stuff that happens with teenagers being really amazing and beautiful. And it just showed me kind of a different way of looking at young people and childhood and potentially a different way of parenting young people and children. And I just think that's one of the amazing things of, in a way, international work is being able to see something from a different culture and realizing they have a totally different set of parameters by which they they see parenting and the role of parents and, and children and the role of young people in society and what is good or bad. And I've been given such a sort of, David and I had both grown up with quite a strictured sense of like, you know, if you behave in that way, it's bad, you know, and you, you're, you're, and, and just this show kind of completely reset the bar on that for me. And I and I thought there's a completely different way of looking at this. So yeah.
Let me be. Please. Let me be. You can ask all sorts of things for me. You can tell me what to do and what not to do. At what time I have to be home. You can do all that. I don't care. But anyway, I will be home late. Whatever hour you give me, I will pass that limit. And I will be pissed drunk. And I will not be ashamed of myself. I have no choice, you see? I have to go too far. The moment that some of you are thinking, does she have to? Does she really have to do what she's doing? Yes, I do. Okay? Because I need to go further. A lot further. Until I don't know what to do anymore. And it's not because you've been there and done that, that I shouldn't go there and do that. Because everything has been done before. But not by me. Not now. extraordinary piece it's got a great sort of my heart goes wide <laughs> does that make sense it's like I can feel my rib cage opening it's, it was really beautiful and I think one of the main lines that stuck has stuck with me since watching that show was it's all been done before but not by me mm. and just that thing of every generation has a right to work things out for themselves at some point and I think you know, part of my upbringing was a sense of like, someone had made all the mistakes and now I was going to get everything right. You know, I had the privilege of not making any mistakes because I could, you know, other people had made the mistakes and they were going to tell me how to do it. So I didn't make any mistakes, you know, and, and just, no, like we, we all have the, should have the privilege to make mistakes for ourselves, you know, and that's, that feels really important. So, and it and that, really yeah. takes me back to the red shoes, you know, because we're so especially girls, but girls brought up with faith 
to be good and to be obedient mm-hmm. and you can't keep it up you no. can't be authentic and keep that up and that doesn't mean you're bad and it doesn't actually mean you're naughty it just means that you have to live a full life you have to live, you have to live. and that's yeah. gonna mean some trip ups Speaking of which, I'm going to smash in with my next choice, which is almost for no reason, apart from I do associate it with my um, leaving the globe because professionally it was by far the worst thing that's happened to me. But, you know, this song has been with me forever. They're the queens. It's Destiny's Child. It's Survivor. And I, I can't live without it. I just can't live without it. Whenever I'm low, this gives me energy. And I've I've run over lockdown. I'm now a runner. And I don't listen to this now, but this got me running. When I couldn't do when I couldn't manage five minutes, Beyonce and the gang got me through. And now I'm a runner. So just because we're gonna have I'm a survivor. Now that you're out of my life, I'm so much better. Thought that I'd be weak without you, but I'm stronger. You thought that I'd be broke without you, but I'm richer. You thought that I'd be sad without you, I laugh harder. Thought I wouldn't grow without you, now I'm wiser. Thought that I'd be helpless without you, but I'm smarter. You thought that I'd be stressed without you, but I'm chilling. You thought I wouldn't sell without you, so not millions.
surviving. See, I cannot listen to that without smiling. And it really does take me back to the moment when we got that bloody MPO. And I don't know whether you remember, but the night before the announcement was going to be made, and we'd been preparing because we, we needed to, to have a website in case we knew that if we got this money, we would be Googled and we needed to be ready for the press. So we had to prepare to launch a company in the knowledge that it might not happen and you rang me the night before and you said I don't think we're going to get it and you you weren't <laughs> lowering my expectations you said I there hasn't you know it, it doesn't happen that companies that have no track record financially or with governance I don't think we're going to get it and we sort of had a, a morning we sort of had a wake for wise children that night <laughs> it's a major expectation management <laughs> <laughs> and the next morning when we did get it I mean I, I was in the globe office I was at work I mean yeah. that is how I felt I'm a survivor and I felt so joyous as that song does you know it makes me smile because it's just got such joyful energy it was amazing I, I really remember phoning you I remember where I was standing in my house when I when because Arts Council phoned me very early that morning so they obviously had a list to get through and they they phoned me and they said you know we'd like to let you know that Wise Children has been approved to um, for national the MPO and and then I just remember thinking I had to phone you and obviously it was incredible good news but I also my heart was beating <laughs> and so I remember phoning you and saying we got we got the money and 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 you were silent for a moment. I remember on the other end of the phone, and you and you were like, "Oh, oh," and and then um, and then and I remember asking if you were all right, and then you said, "Yes, I just you know, I, I can't believe um, someone's given us that money to do all those things." <laughs> it's just like, yes, they have. It's amazing, and um, and I think yeah, I just yeah, I'll never forget where I was standing with that phone call and. And then that all all the dreams built in railway restaurants were going to become <laughs> real. Oh, was... my dream catcher! That's what you are. You're my dream catcher. And but I think I think we'd also convinced ourselves that actually it would be no, that we would do it without, and it would be excellent without. Absolutely. the We'd got ourselves into a different headset. We'd already got into that headspace, I think, and we sort of because of building the website, and we got a little bit of of, of money. Um, development money to to do the website and prepare for for launching the company no matter what because I think I remember if it's all right for me to say that the Globe were going to do an announcement of what their future artistic director was going to be and I think we wanted to to get out ahead of that and say that you had plans and what you were going to do and where you were going and so I think we had full plans to sort of announce wise children and, and and I think also the confidence of going through the MPO process was great in that we you um we had built lots of partnerships and relationships through the MPO process and everyone was so so happy to find out what, that you were going to build wise children and so excited about the plans that we went to them with and so keen to partner with wise children on those plans that i think we sort of said well this is we will make this happen with these partners whether we end up being an mpo or going in for some project funding for for individual shows or you know no matter how we go about doing this we think that this this will happen 
got a massive smile on my face. It was a really magic moment, you know, which only happens when you have very bad times. You have these huge highs and it will go down as the, the great moment, you know, and, and you were with me. As I say, it was almost entirely private. It was you, me and Simon, really, wasn't it? That just yeah. made yeah. this thing happen. And you gifted me this chapter, this big chapter of my life. And that's when it happened. What's your next song and why? So my next song is Kate Bush, Hounds of Love. <laughs> and I've chosen this song because you spot a theme here. I have chosen three songs from three shows that I have loved and that have meant a lot to me. And I didn't really do that on purpose, actually. I really set out. I was looking through my iTunes and thinking about songs that I loved. And, and, and then when I just started thinking about important moments for me, they all related back to shows that I had seen. And um, so the reason I chose Kate Bush, Hands of Love is it's part of um, a show by uninvited guests called Love Letters Straight From Your Heart. And it's a wonderful show, which was one of my first experiences of a piece of co-created work where the audience are a fundamental part of how the work develops and happens. And so um, audience members send in songs beforehand and uh, Richard and, and Jessica, Richard Dufty and Jessica Hoffman weave those songs into a new show every time. And it's about um, the way we can use music as, a, as our love language and to say things to each other. And so when David and I decided to get married uh, and we decided to get married at BAC, um, we realized we had kind of, we had to sort of create an event around that and that there was a sort of, and but that all the ways of doing that that we knew were related to the, the sort of relig faith-based religious background we'd come out of and we were really clear we didn't want any of that in the ceremony. And so we suddenly had to sort of create new rituals. What what would our rituals look like? What, what was our way of saying that we wanted to commit to each other? And, 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 um, and the actual legal bit you have to do takes about about two and a half minutes and the rest of it is up to you and i remember you played an incredible role in that ceremony and you you read an edward lear poem about the jumblies and i remember you very kindly suggesting to me that we cut the poem down which i put my absolute foot down about and made you read the entire nonsense poem from start to finish which on reflection i should have listened to the director and you were right i should have cut it down <laughs> nevertheless and so i think this song for me and so we asked richard and jessica to perform a section of love letters straight from your heart in as the ceremony as the opening ceremony for our wedding and we had people from from all over the world my family are really spread out around the world so we had people from all over the world coming to that and we had people who had expected maybe something much more religious you know, david's parents would have loved a church service my parents would have loved a church service and you know i had aunts emailing me about why they hadn't been invited to the ceremony because there was no church on the invitation and so the it just felt like we had a real job to do to bring people together to celebrate the fact that we were getting married. And I've almost never been more grateful to a human being than when Richard Dufty stood up in the middle of that grand hall and there were close to 400 people in the room. And he just launched into the opening section of Love Letters Straight From Your Heart. And Richard and Jess had gathered songs from people in the room and essentially did a, a 
portion of that show in as as the, the, the service as it were for our wedding and it and it ends with Richard and Jess running around the outside of the of of uh, all the people seated and they do a circuit running and running and running around and this song Hounds of Love is playing and Jess is remembering falling in love for the first time and then Richard comes into the center of the room and just has the most astonishing speech about love and loving someone and what it feels like and what it is and I remember just you know 400 odd people sitting there some of them had seen the show 10 times you know because they worked in theater and they knew the show and they knew Richard and Jess and other people were like what has happened <laughs> where am I and but I think from that moment onwards, everyone was on board. It just brought everyone into the space and it said to everyone something about me and David and the life we were going to build together. And um, and yeah, this reminds me of that moment. Well, thank you. I'm a great Kate Bush fan, but I was at that wedding. It was a magic, magic, magic day and I'm delighted to listen to this.
fabulous. Sarah still makes me cry. I just think, just speaking now about these songs and 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 about, um, you know what about each of these moments? You see red shoes and going to the barns and and meeting you and then and and everything we did on Wise Children and it just it just makes me feel so grateful for just the the amazing I, anyway I'm not saying this very well but just grateful for being able to live a life in, in with theatre in it and with I guess performance or creativity or living and knowing you know people like you and and Mike Shepard and 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 just the way it helps me as a human being understand my life and and feel things <laughs> and and um and I just I think I don't know how to say that without being like I just I love theatre and the people who make it and what they do for other human beings by making it because I know it's it's really hard some sometimes and it's not easy and the journey's not easy and and but it's but what a privilege to be part of it and um and to feel more human because I've had the chance to see this work and and be part of it in some way and yeah, it's just reminded me of that. <laughs> it's so interesting. So much of what you talk about is how you how you manage to break away from that tight religious structure. But actually, the way you talk about theatre is like is spiritual and it is like religion and Mike and I we had a secret name for Nehi we used to call it the church of the lost cause I don't know why we just used to think that's what it was is that nobody wanted it it was really hard but it was like going to church you know we met with people of a shared with shared values and we sang songs and we told stories and we felt human and we felt like our lives had greater meaning and it, it didn't really matter whether it was successful or not and that's what you're articulating is what we yeah. rarely dare to articulate which is how important theatre is to those yeah. of us that have run away and not to be bad just to play by some slightly different rules and yeah. it's beautiful what you say so we had the we then had to go through the slightly difficult I don't know about you we had to having dreamt and been in this bubble of possibility yeah. we then had to actually make it a reality and yeah. and wise children became wise children but there was no way I was letting you go so you joined the board and you're still a board member so you fit us into your incredibly busy schedule and now I see you over zoom but that's the same as everybody else mm-hmm. um but it feels so important to me. I often talk about DNA and you are the DNA. You are the, the the seed of wise children. And I feel that you keep me on track and Poppy on track because sometimes, you know, it's very easy to give up on things that you dreamed about because it's too hard. Yeah. And to, to refer back to that work we did and that dream time that we did, we, we mm. still do it to this day. We say, if we read the MPO now, what would we what would we suddenly go that's what we missed or you know what happened to that and of course dreams change and reality manipulates what happens but but that work is still held so strongly at wise children and i'm so grateful that you're next to me so before i 
end this, I'm going to echo what you just said, which is I want to give you some gratitude. And you're going to know the song, my final song choice, um, which says it all. But this song, as I left the globe and I left, I was ready to leave by the end. And you had helped me very, very much be in a position where I could feel able to walk out of that place with my heart. I didn't care about whether my head was held high or not. I just wanted my heart not to have been damaged. And you were such a huge part of allowing that to be possible. And I agonised. You talked about rituals. You know, how do I create a ritual of leaving when I, I needed it to end and I needed to not feel like a victim anymore? And I decided that I would do a sing-along at the end of my last. So it was the Little Match Girl and it was my final show on my final day and I wrote the words of this song on boards and I got the audience to sing along with me because I thought I couldn't make another speech. Um, but it's what I want to say to you as well, Allegra. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm sorry if it's too formal, but I would like to say you are the smartest person I know. Your mind is like a beautiful racehorse. It's focused, it's sharp, it's motivated, and it is wild. You bring rigour to all you do, but you do it with such kindness, care, and fun and loyalty. And without you, there really wouldn't have been a wise children. And for that, I will forever be in your debt. I'm delighted and honoured that you're still with us on the journey. And me and all the wise children that you have enabled, thank you. Thanks for doing Tea and Biscuits with me, Allegra. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you. Thank you for the days Those endless days, those sacred days you gave me I'm thinking of the days I won't forget a single day, believe me I bless the light I bless the light that lights on you, believe me And though you're gone You're with me every single day, believe me Days I remember all my life Today could be tomorrow The night is long It just brings sorrow Let it wait
I bless the light I bless the light that shines on you Believe me And though you're gone You're with me every single day Believe me Tea and Biscuits is part of Wise Children's Lockdown. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye.